pediatrics respiratory disorders. Um, let's compare what, what we have in the Sanders to what we have for you today to start with. Now, if you look at the topics on here in the Sanders, they are well written, and uh, I will want us to look at those topics one at a time. Then you also play the recording or the audio for this class because you want to have a complete version of the pediatrics respiratory system. Now, this condition in the Sanders, when you look at them on the pediatric system for respiratory uh, Pediatrics, uh, pediatrics respiratory system I want you to pay attention to the nursing management the nursing assessment those bullet points though where you see the pyramid those are important points take for example when you look in the Sanders you'll see epiglottitis epiglottitis is one of the conditions under here epiglottitis now, in epiglottitis, um, it is what we call the bacterial croup. Bacterial form of croup. There will be an inflammation of the epiglottis that will occur. Then uh, this can be caused by uh, 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 the hemophilus influenza type B or the strep pneumoniae. Now, under here, it most often occurs between two to eight years of age for babies, um, but it can also occur between infancy to adulthood. But our concern is pediatric, so we'll focus on peace condition with these disorders. Now, if you look at this condition, it tells you that uh, it has an abrupt onset. The onset is abrupt, and uh, it occurs more most often in the winter now this condition is considered a medical emergency it is considered an emergency it is an emergency condition meaning if you saw this in the ankles it should be of a great concern to you in the ankles if you saw this at the ankles meaning it should be a concern to you so in the ankles they will ask you the nurse receive a telephone call four telephone call which one will the nurse return so you're going to feel one a child with epiglottitis epiglottitis two a child who has uh who has foreign body aspiration and he's being he's undergoing hemorrhage maneuver three you have all these conditions you might have other conditions that, that might show some they will design it in a way that it will be so fearful but at the end of the day what is important to look and to know about this condition is look among the condition and know which one is a medical or surgical emergency so the one that are emergency conditions will always be the priority in this condition uh, in this testing if it is not emergency meaning we cannot consider it as emergency and we cannot choose it in the end class and the only way we get to know the difference between Condition, conditions that are emergency and non-emergency conditions, we have to know what the conditions are in the ankles. So epiglottitis, it is one of those conditions that is an emergency condition and we must treat it as, as that because it has serious threat to breathing. It causes severe respiratory distress. This condition causes severe respiratory distress for 
the inf for the infant, the babies, or, or any group of group that fall in pediatrics. Now, in this condition, I want us to understand the symptoms that come with the symptoms. The child is going to have sore throat. It begins with sore throat. It is very abrupt. So, the, so they're going to have sore throat. They will have inf the throat will become inflamed. There will be redness and other things. Now, in bacterial infection of the throat, uh, when you open the when you open and look in the pharynx, it's going to be discolored. But it's not going to be red compared to viral in viral infect in viral infection of the of the of the of, of the throat or of the pharynx. There will be severe redness of the pharynx. When it so when, if you look in the sunders, you will see that uh, there, there's a picture of the the entire larynx shown in that picture in that exhibit the larynx is red is very much purplish red that shows that the client is patient is having uh this particular epiglottitis which is an infection it is a viral and bacterial infection that could come in and affect the person now in this situation look at the symptoms there is an abnormal cough so the client who has this condition will not cough there's an absence of spontaneous coughing in the case of this epiglottitis. So we use cough as a differentiation or as a differential tool to diagnose this epiglottitis for other conditions that might look the same. So in this case, they will not have spontaneous coughing occurring in epiglottitis. Now, under here, they're going to have agitation, though their voice will become muffled. So they will have muffled voice or they will have muffled voice. Remember this war? Their voice will become muffled because the something is, 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 is getting narrower. They cannot talk well. There is some problem happen, happening in there. So they will have the muffled voice. They are also going to have, um, that is called dys dysphonia. D-Y-S-P-H-O-N-I-A. Dysphonia. So muffled voice is what we call dysphonia. So when they have dysphonia, they are having muffled voice. And they will have retraction. For the babies, they're going to have their sternum will be retracted. They will have a retracted sternum. When they breathe in because their breath cannot relax, so the sternum will be retracted in war. They're going to have, um, they will struggle to breathe. They will have inspiratory strider. They're going to have inspiratory strider. Now, strider is an airway sound that we see, meaning the client is having breathing problem. Now, in the case of in the case of epiglottitis, they will have inspiratory strider, meaning when they are breathing in, they will have a, they will have strider when they are breathing, not when they are breathing out. In the case of this condition, um, they're going to have tachycardia, they will have tachypnea, they will have fast breath rate tachypnea. Now, this tachypnea will progress in here because the air will keep getting narrower, narrower, narrower. So as it gets narrow, guess what happened? The airway is getting closed. The airway is collapsing, is getting is 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 becoming constricted until they will have hypoxia, they will have hypercapnia, wherein they cannot breathe out the CO2. So they will have CO2 trapped in the lungs and they cannot have O2 to go in and exchange with CO2. So they're going to have hypercapnia and then 
they're going to keep doing this until they will run into a severe problem they're going to have respiratory acidosis and they will have decreased loc once they are not having good airway exchange that's what happened in this case and that's why it is considered as an emergency when the child has this condition or these symptoms um one thing for this condition they're going to assume what we call a tripod position a tripod position now um one thing we could do is when we come here we just describe this condition and we move on but the reason why we go in depth because sometimes most of all have been out of school for a long time so sometimes if we just so in every condition you want to remember one word for every condition so in epiglottitis they're going to have this muffled voice they're going to have they're going to assume the one the tripod to help them breathe so they will have their hands on their knee and they will lean forward that's what we call a tripod position so that can help them the one to open their airway and keep breathing but with no time that coping mechanism will collapse because the air will keep getting closer it will keep closing until they will run out of breath that's what happened in the case of epiglottitis now um so they will keep their mouth open when you are in there so in your set of material in the standards book you want to understand these guidelines that come with these conditions for epiglottitis the patient needs support and the first thing you do is to provide a patent airway provide for the patient a patent airway because this this guy airway is collapsing so they need to have a patent airway established by what by taking the head by increasing the bare head by putting the patient in the semi-fallow position in the high fallow position these are things we do for the patient now then the next thing is we do not measure oral temperature because in this case for the babies oral temperature will not be will not be accurate so we do not do oral temp for the babies when they're having this condition because they are using their mouth to breathe we monitor the pulse oximetry and prepare the child for lateral neck themes to diagnose the condition if they have that we put a child on npo until they are diagnosed then you never leave a child you never leave a patient unattended this going week i was working somewhere i was working in i, I, I working at my other job so why in the a child had a seizure so the child had a seizure the seizure lasted for more than five minutes now so what i did i just put the, the pulse machine on the child finger and we kept looking at the heart rate and the saturation less than a few time the child started to drop in saturation in that period of time we had to run and pick up the o2 machine and come in and start helping each other because at that point in time when someone is having a seizure their brain is being deprived from o2 saturation from o2 so you have to look at the person's heart rate and the pulse saturation if the old saturation is dropping below 91 don't wait until it drop below 90 because sometimes if you go up below 90 to take it back to 90 becomes difficult so the moment it was it got to 91 to 90 we started helping the breathe and thank god we did that and uh they came through with the seizure or we gave that start and we helped them they got revived and then that was okay for the patient so 
you never leave the child unattended. That's one. You should avoid the child to be placed in a supine position. That's number two. You do not restrain a child who is having this problem, who is trying to breathe. You got to administer the fluid as prescribed. You got to make sure these are all in our nursing material. If the child will take a nebulized epinephrine, which may be prescribed in severe cases, because this, when the child is having this epiglottitis, they're going to have vessel constriction of the airway. So when we give the epinephrine, the nebulized epinephrine, it helps to, wi to widen. It helps to create a broader airway for the patient. So we can use the mixture of helium and O2 to administer in this case. Provide cool mist O2 for the patient. The patient who has this condition, they will need a cool mist O2. Cool mist O2 is needed in this case of epiglottitis. Um, we also need um, high humidification of the airway. We cannot just give dry air. We have to get the client humidified O2 because if we give dry air to the patient, guess what happened? They will have the air will become very uh, very dry and that might cause a problem for the baby or for the child in this situation. So we have to give humidified O2. That means we have to get wet air, not dry air, because the dry air will not help the kid or the sick patient in this condition. Then um, we also have to go in and provide for this child. Um, we have to go in and, 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 and provide for this child. Um, we provide, we have to have equipment just in case if they have a shock we can revive them we got to ensure that, that, that the child is up to date with all, all of his or her vaccinations they are up to date now if this condition is suspected in a in a uh, in a child no attempt should be made to open the child pharynx to check in the child pharynx we should obtain a throat culture or take an oral temperature otherwise they might there might be spasm so we cannot open the child mouth to look in the child pharynx when a child has epiglottitis there might be a spasm that might cause the child to die instantly so we do not open the child mouth to check in the child throat to see whether it is rare or it is or happening we don't do that in the case of epiglottitis there might be an airway occlusion which might cause instant death to the baby so this is a no no question no no rationale in the endless any question now then we go ahead and look at in our book we have what we call the laryngo trachea bronchitis it is also in the sunders we'll look at the laryngo trachea bronchitis it has different stage it has stage one stage two stage three stage four look at that and read the rationale, read the assessment, and read the intervention when a baby or when a pet has laryngeal trachea bronchitis. Well, look at that. Then we have to go out and look at bronchitis. In bronchitis, there is an inflammation of the trachea of the, or the bronchi of the airway, or both the trachea and the bronchi. 
and now uh, it's what we call a tracheal bronchitis now in this case um whenever there's an upper upper airway condition or upper airway viral infection or bacterial infection the child stands at risk to encounter or to have bronchitis coming in do the assessment look at the interventions these are in our book we need to look at them in the sanders we also have the different auto delivery system that we talked about before but they are in the book look at them and know what they are then we have like pneumonia now pneumonia is one of those conditions that is very dangerous in uh it's very dangerous um in pneumonia there is a swelling of the pulmonary parenchyma or the alveolar or both so the parenchyma cells are inflamed in pneumonia or the air sac which are called the alveolar so the alveolar um or the parenchyma cells they are inflamed in the case of pneumonia sometimes both get inflamed now the parenchyma cells and these alveolar of the lungs they are very important in when it comes to breathing it could be caused by bacteria viruses fungal and other microorganisms that can cause these inflammations um we have viral pneumonia and we have bacterial pneumonia and we also have atherosclerotic pneumonia so we have viral pneumonia bacterial pneumonia or atypical bacterial pneumonia we have atypical pneumonia and we have atherosclerotic pneumonia now what is important here is we want to understand what how what are the assessment tools to, to, to diagnose pneumonia now in pneumonia cases crackles will be heard there will be fun crackles heard on assessment in pneumonia um under here there will also be wheezes there will be wheezes heard on auscultation we hear wheezes and we hear crackles on auscultation with this uh, with this pneumonia condition um uh, intervention sometimes it is treated with various symptoms if the child has bacterial infection we give antibacterial medication if the child had a uh, cough we give cough medication if they are having fever we give antipyretic so it is treated symptomatically that's how we treat pneumonia condition. So what you do, what you do, antibiotics. Um, I, I also saw a condition at the SAC hospital where a ba where a, a 13 year old child was having, oh, uh, they were having thought of committing suicide. So this 13 year old child ingested 10 pieces of medication, 10 pills of ibuprofen, and they ended up in the ER. So they had to intubate them. This child uh, also took in some fluid that they ended up having atherosclerotic pneumonia. So in this situation, they had to order the child Keflex to help them to clear the lungs of the extra fluid that got into the lung. So in the case of atherosclerotic pneumonia, there's either food secretion or some fluid that will accumulate in the lungs and cause pneumonia. In the case of aspiration pneumonia that's what happened in there um they will have increased coughing they will have fever they're going to have foul smelling sputum they're going to have um chest x will be deteriorated 
These are the cardinal signs for atherosclerosis pneumonia. Fever, they will have cough, they will have foul smelling sputum are the most cardinal signs and symptoms for atherosclerosis pneumonia. Now, if you look in your book, they are in the single book. You want to go in there, look at them, read them, make sure you pay more time to the different kinds of intervention for each and every type of the pneumonia. They are in there. Look at them and know exactly what you are talking about. Now, if you look in your book also, you have, um, you have asthma. I'll look at asthma separately. You have cystic fibrosis, which we'll look at separately. And you also have foreign body aspiration. Now, let's look at foreign body aspiration before going to those specific topics I just talked about. Any questions so far? Any question? Now, let's look at foreign body aspiration. It is also one of those conditions that might be emergency depending on the symptoms that this child is presenting with. So in foreign body aspiration, there is a swallowing or aspiration of a foreign object that will pass through the airway. Um, it is mostly inhaled. It goes into the lung or uh, it goes into the airway and gets stuck into the airway. Um, it, it can be like <clears throat> most of the kids will have hot dogs, candies, or peanuts, popcorn, or grapes. That's why we do we do not give babies hot dogs, popcorns, grapes. Um, we never give them this type of food because they have the ability to, to get stuck in the airway. The candies, we never give them candy because when they suck on it, it might slip and get dislodged and get lost within the throat or within uh, within the bronchus. So most common offending food are this food I just talked about and peanuts. Add peanuts to the list. Um, in the sanders. Um, they're gonna have choking. That's the first thing you're gonna see them choking. They either want to choke up, but they cannot choke. It's not to keep their hands at their throat. That is the universal sound of choking. They will have their hand up here. Um, they're gonna have choking. They will have gagging. Uh, uh. So the child is eating and you hear the child like gagging. Uh, that's the sound of what foreign body aspiration. The child is gagging. They are coughing or they are having retraction just by seeing them. Then if this continues, they become cyanotic. They'll become bluish because they're not having O2 going to the lungs and being exchanged. So they will have these sounds coming up. Then the next thing you're gonna see, they will have airway obstruction, they will have wheezes, and they will have asymmetrical breath sounds coming up. And you're gonna have dyspnea. That is the as like the symptoms get increased and get, become more difficult with time. That's why it is treated as an emergency condition. So we're gonna look at that for the intervention. They will need. They will need emergency intervention. They will need emergency intervention in foreign body intervention. That's why we always call now when we have any condition because 
They're going to be deprived from O2. And we cannot stay on O2 for, for even up to five minutes. That's why we have to always call when there's an emergency of foreign body alteration. So for intervention, after we complete an emergency care, they will do endoscopy and see what is in what or, or, or what is lodged within the pharynx or within the larynx. They will check and see what is in there. So that can be done with the help of endoscopy. Um, then we observe a sign symptom of airway edema. We should keep every small object away from the reach of children. We should not give them popcorns. We should not give them grapes, candies, hot dogs. These foodstuffs are not for kids. They are not for babies. They are not for them. So um, we make sure we teach them about the hazard, about aspiration, discuss the potential situation, and we teach them the hemorrhage maneuver just in case they have choking disorder. They can be, the mommy, the mothers can be able to help them to revive them before even EMS can arrive. Any question? So these are things that we want to make sure we are doing to, to stay on the safe side for this condition. Let's take a five minute break. Now, there are a couple of things here I want us to go over before um, looking at our main topic, asthma. Um, in under here, we have to look at um, pulse oximetry on this respiratory system. Now, in pulse oximetry, let's say a child had a, a, a oximeter on, like a prop. They had a prop attached to that. It could be their toes, it could be their finger, it could be the ear lobe. Those are the area where we attach the prop to. Now, the, the prop can be attached to the fingertip, the toes, the ear lobe, or around the foot with a clip or band around it, like a band, like a band wrapped around the toes. Now, and then you saw that the child saturation, which is the SAO2, is less than 90. Once it drops, so a normal sat should be above, a normal SAO2 should always be above 90. If it drops below 90, that's abnormal. If it's attached to an alarm, it's going to begin to alarm once it drops below 90. Now, in this situation, whenever you are having a tooth or an equipment versus a human being, versus a human, so you have an equipment versus a human or a patient, let's say a patient, when there is an alarm, when you get there, look at the patient first to see whether he's okay or she's okay if she's okay she's not having symptoms then you look at the equipment if he's having symptoms you all know where the symptom is coming from if it's from the equipment then you look at the equipment to fix the equipment so that's just i just i just, I just want to point that out um we also want to make sure that uh when a child is when someone is on meter dose inhaler MDI or the DPI dry powder inhaler, you want to know exactly how to perform this procedure MDI or the DPI dry 
powder inhaler or the meter dose inhaler. Now, whether it is meter or dry powder dose inhaler, um, this I want you to perform this procedure over and over in your own house, in your own bathroom. Take um a bottle, it could be a pin, act like that's the meter dose inhaler. Make sure you do the steps from step one to step last to get used to it until you are done with it. You do not, for the dry powder inhaler, you never shake it. For the meter dose, you're going to shake it. Those points, you want to make sure you know those points. For the DPR, do not shake it. Remove the cover or the mouthpiece for the DPR. Remove the mouthpiece for the DPR and you follow the manufacturer instruction. What is written on the packet on the circuit for the DPR is what you follow for the dry powder inhaler. You want to make sure hold your breath five to ten seconds. Just go by uh, by the by the various steps because in this particular DPR or the MDR, no matter how someone tells you about it, you will not memorize it well and do not go to the end class trying to memorize how to do dpr or how to use instinctive spirometer how to use mdr it's, it's not going to work what you do is you perform this this procedure over and over in your bathroom in your in front of a dresser do it open the book state the procedure step perform it or demonstrate it one or two or more times get used to it close your book and keep trying whether you're going to get it correct once you get it correct one or two times those steps will stay with you forever it's like if you perform a procedure in real life one or two times after 10 years it stays with you but if you only read about a procedure you read the steps in school and you did a step in school and passed it Right after graduation or after that particular test, you have forgotten the steps in performing the procedure. So what I tell people is, perform this procedure over and over. Read it from the book, go to YouTube, go to Google, get the procedure out and look at the procedure step by step description and do it as it is being described in or on YouTube or, or in your book. It helps to make it to stick forever and even in the end when you see the end class, you do not have to say that, okay, what can I do next step? You just remember your, your, your demonstration and it will help you to guide you in getting it correct for both DPR and the MDR. For even every other drag and drop procedure, make sure you do it more and more at home. Do not just sit down and read it from the book. It's going to hurt your head. Make sure you look at it from, um, look at it well from a point that you're going to stand in front of a mirror or in your room or anywhere you want to stand, if you're comfortable, demonstrate the procedure over and over and again. Any question? Now, um, let's look at um, asthma. Asthma is one of those conditions that are uh, we have we face in pediatrics asthma so in the case of asthma 
Um, asthma is a very chronic inflammatory disorder. It is a chronic inflammatory disorder that results in the airway becoming inflamed. So the airway gets inflamed, it gets narrower, and there is an airway obstruction occurring in the case of asthma. And the bronchioles are obstructed. But the good thing about asthma is it is reversible. So we can give medication that we can reverse asthmatic attack. Now, asthma diagnoses are classified into, into one of four categories based on the different presentation. We have the intermittent, the mild, moderate, and severe. Those ones are not important for the English. I'm just saying it, but they're not important for the English. What is important in asthma for ankle is one knowing the asthma risk factor the triggers and knowing how can we manage asthma at the beginning at the on meaning the onset of asthma how can we start to manage it for, for, for us to prevent complication those are the important things about asthma now in asthmatic con uh, in asthmatic conditions um the number one trigger is allergens. Allergens are number one triggers for asthma. They are the number one trigger for asthma. Allergens. Now, these allergens, there are so many types. There are different allergens. It could be for indoor. Indoor allergens could be woods cockroaches like roaches in the house antigen dust mites or dust um those are indoor allergens the outdoor allergen include grass grass growing environment pollens the trees shrubs molds spores those are all outdoor allergens that might cause asthmatic attack then we have irritants the irritants are like smoke someone smoking tobacco next to you someone burning grass someone burning something out in the environment those are all those are all allergens those are irritants like a wood smoke like odor some perfume some bad odor some bad odor can cause asthmatic attack um exercise can also cause asthma we call it exercise induced asthma so if you have an asthma you want to know which exercise can you engage in cool air or changes in weather between winter and uh between winter and spring um it's uh fall i mean between no between spring and fall between like when there's a change in weather into the, into the next weather there'll be a lot of pollens there'll be environmental stimuli coming up all these things can cause asthmatic attack in this situation um we can have like animal hair some other medications those drugs include one for drugs that can cause asthmatic attack one is aspirin that's why one who has asthma cannot take aspirin they cannot take insert medication they should not venture around these drugs Example of this just you have the ibuprofen. Ibuprofen is an insert. You have naproxen, an insert. They cannot take this medication. This just can cause 
reactions that might trigger their, their asthmatic attack. Um, they cannot take some antibiotics. Some antibiotics cannot be taken by them. They cannot take some beta block or uh, some uh, beta blockers can also cause them to have uh, asthmatic attack. Like anxiety can also cause the fear, phobia. When they have panic attacks, like uh, they are laughing so hard, they are crying so hard, those things can cause them to have asthmatic attack. So patients who have asthma should stay away from this condition. Some other condition like uh, <clears throat> GRD, Gastroesophageal reflux disease can also trigger asthmatic attack. Other food allergies, food that they cannot eat, can also cause reaction. Like um, endocrine factor could be menses. When you're on your menses, you can also have some symptoms coming up. Like when you are pregnant or when you're having a thyroid disorder, those are conditions that can also trigger asthmatic attack. Now, in asthma, um, I'm concerned about two most important things. One is the symptoms or the signs. Two is the medication. In asthma, these medications are very big on ankles because asthma is reversible if we know how to manage it well. Mistakenly, if we misdiagnose asthmatic attack or waste time in providing the requisite management for asthma it leads to fertility it leads to death which is that's why the anger is very huge on asthma asthma seizure those conditions are they are reversible if we can manage them well they can be reversed if we fail to manage them well if our interventions are very poor we can have a problem in reviving the patient when they have those attacks for asthma, um, they're going to have dyspnea on assessment. They will have dyspnea on assessment for asthma. They're also going to have cough. Cough is one of the major symptoms for asthma, coughing. They will have this dry cough or this cough coming in. They will have dyspnea. They cannot catch their breath. They will have coarse long sound. Coarse coarse lung sound they will have that in asthma what are the coarse lung sounds the coarse lung sounds are wheezing and crackles so they're going to have wheezes and they're going to have crackles these are what the coarse lung sounds they will have wheezes and they will have crackles they're going to have mucus production they will have mucus secretion in the airway that will create blockade in air in in gases in gases exchanges. They're gonna have that. Mucus will be in the airway. They will have mucus within the airway. They're also going to have um, anxiety. They will become anxious. They will have increased perfusion. They will have uh, they will have um, They will sweat a lot. They will have increased sweating. When they're having asthmatic attack because they cannot breathe they're going to have then they'll begin to use the accessory muscle the diaphragm so there will, there will be a use of accessory muscles to breathe like the diaphragm 
They will use up the brief and they're going to have a drop in the O2 saturation. The SAO2, there will be a drop in the saturation below 90. And as it continues, there will be increased reduction in the O2 saturation in the body. These are things we have to know to come up with. Now, it is in here, we do the lungs test. We do the pulmonary function test for asthma patient. Pulmonary function test for asthma patient. We also do for them the PEFR, the PEFR test or assessment. It's called the peak expiratory flow rate. Peak expiratory flow rate is done for asthmatic patient. Um, this PEFR, it measures the amount of air that can be forcefully exhaled when we are breathing in one second. So this PEFR measure the amount of air that can be forcefully, you know, within one minute when we are breathing, when we have asthmatic attack. So we do that to know what's happening. Um, every child needs an established personal best to try to breathe in so hard because when you are having asthmatic attack, the airways are closing and you cannot breathe. So a child needs the PFR to force themselves to try to breathe and get something like they get to get some amount of O2 into the lungs. So we have to do that and know how much the child can get into the lungs within one minute. Now, for the for asthma, we want to make sure we can do the bronchoprovocation testing. We can do the skin breaking. Those are all tests we can do. My concern for asthma is um, this medication. It is my biggest concern when someone has asthma. How can we combine this medication, the long acting, the short acting? How can we combine this regimen? To provide the best care that will revive the patient, the child who is having asthmatic attack. Now, um, we have several different medications. The first of those drugs we have the bronchodilators, the bronchodilators, bronco. These are this these are inhalers. Now the inhalers. So I had a patient a couple of days ago uh, in a SAC hospital. The patient came in hospital with uh, some medication. Among them, she had an inhaler and she denied having C or, or having asthma. Now it is not normal to go with inhaler at a hospital from home and you do not have asthma. So what I did was that I how to create a treatment plan for this patient with this with this inhaler, and we put a patient on asthmatic uh, precaution. Luckily for us, at night when she went to bed, she had an attack, an asthmatic attack. So we had to go in and help them. So, like in nursing, we have to always try to think a step ahead. We got to be a step ahead of, the, of our patients because we are being paid. We have our licenses to protect. Anything goes wrong, they're going to ask us the hard questions. 
So in nursing, you have to always think one or two steps ahead of the patient, the family. No matter what they tell you, you as a nurse must be ahead. That's why the NCLEX is more or less a test about logical thinking. How do we reason? How do we analyze? Because if we have poor analysis about condition, about things happening in our environment, we'll make so many mistakes in the hospital from common judgment. That's why we have to improve our critical thinking skills. Our judgment needs to be improved in the case of NCLEX. Now, for the bronchodilators, we have we have um one we have the short acting beta agonist short acting beta agonist the saba s a b a the short acting beta agonist medication these medications um they are short acting example for this medication you have one the abiduron Abiduron is a short-acting beta agonist medication that can that can arrest an asthmatic situation. We have the tabutaline. Tabutaline also falls on a sour medication. Then we have the liver butyrol. The liver butyrol. These are examples of the short acting beta agon. There are other drugs that fall under here, but these are the most commonly used ones. You can look them up, you'll see more. For this medication, what, I, what I'm concerned about for this medication, I want us to establish when can we use this medication? When can we use them? When can we administer, administer this medication? We have to know them and know them at the back of our head. Because in the end class, there will be these case scenarios that we have to analyze and know when can we use this medication. Example, when there is an acute exacerbation, these drugs, so you put in here, put here acute, acute exacerbation, exacerbation, meaning an acute attack. When there's an acute onset, the child was playing on the field in a second, they had their hand on their chest and they try to breathe very fast. Meaning they are having an acute attack, an acute exacerbation of the of the asthma. So they can be used in here. They can be also used when there is an exercise-induced asthmatic attack. Exercise-induced. Meaning the kids was not having attack. He went jogging. Why jogging he had an attack so we can use this medication in two conditions or in two instances they can be used in acute exacerbation of asthma or asthmatic conditions and it can be used in exercise induced asthmatic attack so in these conditions we will need the short acting the short acting they are rapid and they are fast acting and they provide a better result in the shortest possible time. That's why we call it the short acting beta agonist, a beta agonist. Now, so these are the drugs: this abiduron, the tabutaline, and the liver bitterol. They are for acute exacerbation of the asthmatic attack and exercise-induced asthma. Remember those things very well. 
Then we had the law acting. Now, we have the law acting. Um, the law acting beta agonist, we call him the LABA, L-A-B-A. The long acting beta agonist, the LABA. This medication on here, they include Samitrol. They include Samitrol. They include the Formitrol. They include Samitrol and they include what we call the Formitrol. They are long acting medication. Samitrol and the Formitrol, they are long acting. These medications, they cannot. We cannot use them when there's an attack. No. So they are for preventions. So for them, they are for preventive measure. Take for example, a child who has asthma, who has a history of asthma, is going to play soccer in the winter. Why would the why would the nurse or uh, why would the nurse expect to be given to this child? A abiterol, B uh corticosteroids C formiterol they will have these drugs under there they all sound the same but they have different indication they are all for asthma but they have different time interval they have different time we can administer them and these are the point of the anklets we have to know about this this thing about the anklets now in here these are for preventive asthmatic problems so they are going for soccer practice or basketball practice they have asthma in asthma we have what we call exercise induced asthma so because of this condition we give them this medication to prevent an asthmatic attack while they are running on the field or on the court these medications um they help us to reduce the use of saba because with this medication we don't need saba so it will prevent well, we do not need a short acting because a short acting can only come in when we have an attack. Simple uh, uh in a simple sense. Now, these long acting medications they can also be used at night. At night, the child going to bed, they are fine, no asthma, no breathing problem coming in, but they might go to bed and they might have some bad dream, they might be having anxiety, they might have some attack, some phobic attack. They might have nightmares. So in that situation, they will have an attack. So just in case if they are going to bear, we set the law acting to prevent overnight attack of asthma. Just in case. So we'll do these things for them before uh, they go to bed. So these medications, they are used along with anti-antibiotic anti anti drugs. So this, this lava can be used along with the anti- inflammatory medications for asthmatic patients this cannot be used to treat acute problem they are not for acute problem they are not for acute acute we put a big rare x to this medication for acute problem they are not for acute problem they are not for acute asthmatic attack they are for long term they are for preventive measure. 
they can be given a lot of oral medication to put her in a good position when we have a history of asthma. Um, then we have the next ones, we call them, um, the, we call them uh, the cholinergic agents. Cholinergic agents, they are called the cholinergic agents. These agents, um, they are, I'm sorry, cholinergic antagonists, not agent, but antagonists. Cholinergic antagonists, antagonists. Now, they are also called the anti-cholinergic agents. Yes, that's how they call it. So they are called, um, other, you call them cholinergic agents. Oh, sorry, other you call them cholinergic antagonists. Or you call them the anticholinergic agents. Now, these medications, we have the atropines, the atropines, and you also have example. Another one is what we call the apra, the ipratropium, ipratropium is also an anticholinergic agent. These medications, um, they provide relief for acute bronchospasm. They also come in to provide treatment for acute condition, but for them, they prevent bronchospasm. Because in asthma, the airway gets narrower and the bronchi becomes uh, stiff. So these drugs will prevent bronchospasm. That's why they are for mainly bronchospasm. So, we can also serve them in when the child has uh, epiglottitis, where they are having bronchospasm, or in the case of bronco or tracheal bronchitis, they can also use them in those conditions. Um, this medication. So when we hear the war, so for these medications, we can give them through method dose inhalers so we can get them through the mdr through nebulizer we can meter them through these means these medications um the child will have some tremors when they are taking these medications you also the child for dry mouth when they're on apratropium it can cause drama. So all of the when you hear the war anticholinergic agents, it creates drama. So when you're on these drugs, watch out for drama. This drugs mean it the hypertrophium causes drama. So watch out for drama. So for that reason, if someone is prescribed apertropium, they got to increase fluid intake or they got to suck on candies or chew gum that does not have sugar to prevent the dry mouth. Then uh, we have the next drugs. So all these drugs fall under the bronchodilators. Then we have the, the inflammatory agents, the anti-inflammatory agents. 
we have the next group are the anti-inflammatory agents. These are the ones the the, the decrease airway inflammation because in asthma the airway gets narrow, the airway the airway becomes stiff, and the airway becomes inflamed. So things happening at once. So we give, and then there is also a reaction from allergens that occur within our body. We'll get to that. So there are three or four things happening at once. So that's why we must combine sometimes two or three medications to, 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 to arrest an asthmatic situation. In the case of this, the first one we have, the corticosteroids. Corticosteroids are also anti-inflammatory anti agents. That's why when you have they'll give you, they'll give you those corticosteroids, they'll give you the desamidazone, prednisolone, because they are anti-inflammatory agents. They decrease inflammation. This medication are given parenterally. Example could be the metal prednisolone, metal prednisolone, or the prednisolone itself, dexamethasone, hydrocortisone, these are all corticosteroids. This medication of fruticasone, another most commonly used one is the fruticasone. These medications, um, they can be given parenterally or by inhalation. So this comes with inhalation, the fruticasone can be inhaled. The metal pregnisolone and the pregnisolone can be given. Um, the metal is given parenteral. So this one is given parenteral through IV. This one is given through POs. This one is given through inhalation through the nasal passage. So you have metal pregnisolone is given IV. Pregnisolone is given PO. Fruticasone is given uh, through inhalation. So um. Uh, this just gonna be given another one we have are the liquid train modifier, liquid train, liquid train modifier. The liquid train modifiers, they are also drugs that helps in this case. Example, you have the multi loscar, the multi loscar, the multi loscar is still as a M-O-N-T-E-L-U-K-A-S-K, Monty Luscar. Then you have um, the mast cell stabilizer, mast cells stabilizer. They also come in stabilizer to balance the reaction from the pollens that we inhale, from the trigger that we inhale, there will be systemic reaction. This mast cell come into stabilize between our body system and that of the foreign body that we inhale that is causing the airway to get narrow. Example of this drug is we have the chromoline. Chromoline is an example of the mast cell stabilizer. Then we also have what we call the monoclonal antibodies. The monoclonal clonal antibodies these ones 
a drug that can be used to treat moderate or severe persistent allergic asthma. So an asthmatic attack that cannot go away with medication, it keeps being persistent, meaning during a particular season. So all these drugs will not work, so we'll use the, mon the monoclonal antibodies that will come in and work for us if the patient is having continual or persistent allergic asthma. Um, so we give them this medication, we give them corticosteroids, the fluticasone to inhale. Sometimes we might also combine the LABA medication, that is the long-acting beta antagonist, along with the corticosteroids. So we can combine, like we talk about the Samitura. So we might combine Samitura, which is a LABA with prednisolone or with metaprenicillone. Now, if we combine these two medications, in this situation, um, we want to provide it to stop it at certain point in time, stop the complication of the asthmatic problem. Any question on uh, this medication? Now, in asthma, in asthma, we have what we call status asthmaticus. We have what we call status asthmaticus. It is a complication of asthmatic condition. It's called status asthmaticus. Asthmaticus. It is a complication. In here, it is a serious life-threatening condition that the patient will become very irresponsive. Ir ir they cannot respond to anything, any stimuli, because they are having an asthmatic attack. They will have wheezes. They will have liver breathing. They're going to have nasal flaring. They're going to have lack of air movement in the lungs. They will use their accessory muscles to breathe, which include the diaphragm. They're going to they're going to assume a tripod position for the young baby for the younger children below uh, seven years um so in this situation we'll have to do we have to give a lot of medication for this complication so we'll monitor the air the auto saturation which will be our point to act the child is positioned upright or leaning slightly forward or in a standing position where minister never lies treatment for 20 to 30 minutes continually, meaning we'll have the mist ne being never lies into the airway for at least up to 30 minutes before we start any treatment. We'll have an IV access. We'll give the bronchodilators, I will talk about the L the LABA, the LABA, I'm sorry, the SABA. We'll give them. We'll administer magnesium sulfate IV, which can help to decrease the inflammation. And then we'll also do the peak flow rate to know that we'll give all this medication. In air analysis, we should be ready for uh, intubation. Because all these things are not working, we might create a trachea stomach for the child to breathe. Or we'll put in some tube in the child's pharynx to breathe out until... They can regain their breathing. These are things we do for 
asthmatic complication. Any question? Any question? Cystic fibrosis falls on the respiratory system. This is mainly for pediatrics. And uh, cystic fibrosis is commonly referred to as CF. Um, it is a respiratory disorder that results from uh, inheriting the condition from family or it's a, it's a genetic condition. It's genetics, meaning we can get it from other generations that we came after. Um, it is just characterized by increased mucus accumulation within the lungs or within the respiratory tract. That's about cystic fibrosis. So in cystic fibrosis, there will be increase in mucus that are going to become very thick, become tenacious, and then it will lead to mechanical obstruction of various organs of the body. So you're going to have the liver can be affected by cystic fibrosis. The lungs can be affected by cystic fibrosis. The pancreas can be affected by cystic fibrosis. Um, you also have the small intestines can be affected by cystic fibrosis and you have the reproductive system can also be affected by cystic fibrosis. So it is mucus getting thicker, mucus become thicker than expected, very thick, tenacious, sits in those organs and obstruct um, normal organ process. That's about cystic fibrosis. Um, this mucus, there will be an increase in organic and enzymatic constituent in the saliva, and there will be an increase in sodium and chloride content in the sweat. There will also be autonomic nervous system abnormalities so when this happened to these organs it affects other body parts it affects other 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 system other systemic uh normalities that is it leads to increment in the sodium there will be increase in there will be increase in sodium level there will be increase in the chloride level the cl and it also leads to um autonomic nervous system anomaly it also affects the ans it affects three things there will be increase in sodium there will be increase in chloride level in the body and there will be it will affect the autonomic nervous system that's about cystic fibrosis so when we come here starting for a certain time we will discuss this thing just talk about them in a very short manner and then see how best we can uh, keep moving. Now, when a client has cystic fibrosis, there are expected findings. First of all, there, there, there will be a history of the condition in a, being a family. That's one thing we're going to see. Um, there will be respiratory infection. There will be growth failure. There will be uh, meconium ileus in the newborn and um, this will cause the abdomen it will cause vomiting 
it's going to cause um the the baby will not pass too for the baby they will have constipation because of this congestion of the gi tract from the mucus that will accumulate within those area so they're not going to pass too when they have cystic fibrosis at birth now um this condition um for newborns meconium ileus meconium ileus Meconium ileus, it is the earliest sign, it is the most cardinal sign of the condition. So, so it is the earliest, it is the earliest signs and symptoms or symptoms of cystic fibrosis for newborn, for neonates. Let's remember this very well. Now, look at this condition. In your notes, you want to put cystic fibrosis mucus. The mucus is tenacious. The mucus is very thick. It affects the liver, the lungs, the pancreas, the small intestine, and the reproductive system. That's it. When this system, when this system gets affected, it leads it leads to increased sodium, increased chloride, and it, it, it also obstruct or, or it affects the ANS, autonomic nervous system. For newborns or neonates. It has other implications. For the neonates, they're gonna have meconium ileus that will lead to abdominal distension. The abdomen becomes distended. Distended abdomen will happen in the uh, in the neonate, which can be one of the symptoms. It will cause another pass tooth, and there will be meconium ileus, which is like I said, is the cardinal sign for neonate when they have this condition. Now, um, these are the most important things I want you to understand about meconium ileus. Then, let's still talk about the, the, the immune system, which is the reproductive system is what we're talking about. So let's narrow our discussion to the system that is under review. Now that you've known that uh, this condition affects other system, since we are discussing the reproductive system, let's see how it affects the how it affect our breathing and why the symptom that comes with, the, with this particular uh, condition. Um, for the earliest symptom in in pediatric clients, the earliest symptoms, the earliest symptom will include one, they're going to have respiratory ronchi. They will have wheezes, wheezes. They will have wheezes, and they will have ronchi. They will have wheezes, they will have bronchi occurring. They're going to have dry, non productive cough. So they will have cough, but they will be dry and non productive cough. That's what happened to, to them. Those, those are the earliest sun symptoms. Um, they're going to have dyspnea. If the condition persists, they will have dyspnea. They will have paroxysmal cough. They will have paroxysmal cough. They will have paroxysmal cough. They're going to have obstructive emphysema, and they will have atelectasis. So they will have emphysema, and they will have atelectasis. Atelectasis. 
when the condition persists, they're going to have these problems. Um, if it keep if it keep going ahead, it keep not going away. Um, they're going to have an advanced stage where they're going to be advanced in involvement, and that advanced involvement will lead to cyanosis, meaning the airway is being obstructed. So they are now having cyanosis. They are having cyanosis. They will have cyanosis. The body will become bluish because there is no O2 supply to the body. They're going to have barrier chest. So they will have barrier chest. Now, so barrier chest is one of what you're going to see. This part, this can also be seen in other refrigerator conditions. So in this situation, it is not a defining characteristic for cystic fibrosis. So you can see barrier chest in other like COPD other areas. You will see it in here, but it is not a defining characteristic for this condition. Now, you're gonna see in here, they will see the finger and the toes nail become club. They will have clubbing finger nails and toes nails. They will have clubbing finger and toes nails. Fingers and toes nails. You'll see it. You're gonna also see um there will be multiple episodes of 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 of, of bronchitis of bronchopneumonia so they're going to so you're going to have fluid accumulated within the bronchi area they're going to have bronchopneumonia and they will have multiple episodes of bronchitis occurring while they are having cystic fibrosis that's not going to happen under here um there are other gi symptoms but i'm i'm, I'm not talking about gi I'm talking about but the GI, just in case you want to know about GI, the GI will accumulate large frothy mucus that will be secreted within the GI system. So that mucus, very thick, very tenacious, will they will accumulate within the GI system and they will create a blockade or an obstruction within the GI system. That's what happened in there. So this will lead to then having what we call stetorrhea. Uh, like that, like the West too, they'll have stero, they'll have stero rears too, uh, stero rear. they're going to have it when they have the GI symptoms. They're going to have a uh, delayed passing stool. They're not going to gain weight. There will be distended uh, abdomen. They'll have thin leg, the legs and the arm will become very tiny or smaller or very thin. And they will have deficiency of fat soluble vitamins which is the ADEC, the vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K, because these vitamins are synthesized along the GI tract. So when they have this condition, they will have difficulty in fact with vitamin, then they're going to have anemia for the GI uh, symptoms. They can also have other integumentary symptoms, which I'm not concerned about, and they can also have endocrine system problems, which I'm not also concerned about. I'm discussing just the respiratory system. Now, for this for this condition, we can do laboratory tests, which include we do the in, uh, we can do we can do the blood specimen. We'll do vitamin A, D, E, K. If A, D, E, K will be deficient, or we'll do the the testing, there will be the deficiency of the A, D, E, K. Um, they're gonna be we can do the sputum culture to know exactly what are those uh bacteria that are that that are causing that to happen. We we'll check A and C. Then we'll see so many different kind of bacteria in there. The pseudomonas, we'll see them in there. The hemophilus influenza will be in there. 
we'll see in there there will be other organisms like the Klebs, uh, the Klebsilla pneumoniae, all those things, the Staph aureus, all those different bacteria and other microorganisms will be available within the sputum when we do the sputum culture for cystic fibrosis. If we do the chest x-ray, there will be the lung tissues will be sticking together, which 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 can be look at. We look so, so that that gonna be what we call atelectasis in there. So we'll see atelectasis. There will be lungs collapse in the long run, and that's how the patient can lose their life when they have this cystic fibrosis. We can do the sweat chloride test. Indeed, it will be increased because we said this condition will do an increment in this chloride and the sodium test. Uh, 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 and, 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 and the level of sodium. So when we do the sodium chloride, the sweat, I'm sorry, the sweat test, there will be increase in the chloride in, in, in chloride in there. And uh, normally, um, the range of, for chloride should be less than 70. So I'm sorry, for for chloride, it should be less than uh, less than 40. For sodium, it should be less than 70. For sodium, less than 70. For chloride, it should be less than 40. So after after the test, the chloride will be more than 40, and then the sodium will also be higher than 90. So we want to have it less than 40 for chloride. For sodium, it should be less than 70. For the sweat chloride test, they call it the sweat chloride test. For chloride, it should be less than 40. Sodium should be less than 70. If they had the condition, this, this will be above 60. This will be above 90. Meaning they are meaning they are having the condition. So um we're gonna have this in there. Now, my concern about these conditions, my concern about that is what can we do when it comes to this condition? What are the nursing management? What are the medical management for this condition? And it is where you have to pay more attention because in the end class, we are more concerned about management, nursing management, most importantly. Next to that, we will have medical management. And to have this management together, you got to understand how you're going to put together when it comes to uh, how can we put together this? How can we do assessment? Our assessment our diagnosis, our treatment plan are all in line. When one is missed, the rest becomes a serious problem. So, we want to assess the patient's lung sounds, and we say we want to find why. There are two lung sounds we're going to hear on cystic fibrosis. One, you will hear wheezes because there will be airway obstruction and airway collapse, and you will hear wrong car. There will be wrong car available on auscultation. These are, um, these are the two sounds, long sounds. These are artificial long sounds. At this stage, you should know what are adventitious long sounds and what are normal long sounds at this stage of an endless press of or this stage of an endless study. You must know what is. What are the normal long sound and what are the abnormal long sound? So the wrong car and the wheezes are abnormal long sound, which we call the adventitious long sounds. This will be heard on auscultation when a patient has cystic fibrosis. Now, in the end class, we use one knowledge to do other things. Now, so 
it is also possible that in other conditions there might be wrong guy heard example is COVID-19 because in COVID-19 there will be coughing now but in COVID-19 the cough there will be a, a, a beginning of a dry cough this dry cough leads to a, there will be fluid accumulating in the lungs that's why you're gonna have like pneumonia complication in COVID-19 so in when you have COVID-19 it, it gets complicated they're going to they're going to almost show a sound like cystic fibrosis there will be mucus that will accumulate within the lungs very thick mucus and when there's mucus in the lungs we're going to have wheezes available and we can also have ronchi also available in the case of COVID-19 so because whatever the, 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 there's a thickening secretion within the lungs that taking taking secretion will lead us to having wrong car in the lungs. So it is not only in cystic fibrosis, you're gonna hear wheezes or, or wrong car. You might hear wheezes or wrong car in other conditions that will lead to fluid being accumulated in the lungs that will cause it to be taken, to be tenacious. You're gonna have that also. So even if the question came in the anchor, it is not COVID-19. It is not cystic fibrosis, but it is other conditions that you know of. That the client will have cough and the cough will lead to mucus accumulation in the lungs meaning if, if you see ronca in the answer ronca could be a possible answer to that particular uh, condition just so you know that now look at the patient vital sign it is important we can also look at um the for the vital sign we look at the o2 saturation because it is it is an airway condition and the client is at risk for breathing problem so we're gonna look at that and know exactly where we are. We'll obtain an RV access to give uh peripheral, we'll do we'll, we'll get a pick line and we'll do home antibiotic therapy for the patient who has this condition. Um we'll provide support for both family and the child. Um because when we Talk about pediatric, talk about both the parents and those who are taking care of the of the of the patient. Now, most importantly, let's look at the specific thing we need. If the client has CF and we want to manage it for pulmonary management, let's look at specific things. Now, for the pulmonary management, there are specific things I want to look at under here. So I'm going to put your pulmonary management. For CF, one. Um, want to make sure we assist in providing airway clearance, ACT, providing airway clearance, airway clearance. We call that ACT, air, airway clearance therapy, ACT. The first thing we we'll do for the patient who has pulmonary problem when they are having CF, we we'll provide airway clearance therapy, ACT. Now, we try to expirate lung secretion. So when we do the airway clearance therapy, there are different types. Our goal is to remove secretion from the airway. So we could do facial therapy. We, I'm sorry, uh, chest, uh, chest finger therapy, CPT. We could do CPT. We could either do it manually by making a cup hand and, and, uh, beating the chest wall 
which will loosen secretion and put them in the central airway and we use our cough excess and pull the secretion off from the chest. That's one way. Or we could use the vest method. The patient put on the vest and we connect the vest to a machine and there will be vibration that will move the chest wall and we accumulate the mucus in the central airway and we use the cough assist and remove the secretion from the client's central airway. We could also do that. That's, that, that's another mean. We could also do suctioning, move the cough in the airway and suction the cough off. There are a lot of ways but we do uh, we do ACD to remove uh, cough from in there. We could do it twice in the day, meaning we do one in the morning and do one in the evening. Now, when we are doing ACT, we should avoid doing this after eating. So the client should do it before, uh, before we should avoid it right after eating or before eating. Now, we can do it before the client can eat. So it can be done um, at least an hour, at least an hour before eating or at least two hours after eating. We cannot do it right after eating. It's not going to work for the client. So, 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 so we cannot do it right after eating. They're going to give problem to the patient. Now, these methods, I'll discuss uh, three or four of these methods under here. One, the CPT. I already done a CPT. One of these methods is A. You have the CPT, the chest physiotherapy. It's called chest physiotherapy, which I already talked about. To, to remove the cough or the makeup in the airway. That's one. Uh, we can also do the PEP. The PEP. The PEP is what we call the positive expiratory therapy. Positive expiratory therapy. Now, in this PEP, we use a device as a flutter to clear the mucus from in the chest and we encourage the client to breathe forcefully while they are exhaling it helps to remove the cough from in the chest we can also use what we call an active cycle of breathing techniques we can use what we call active cycle of breathing techniques of breathing techniques technique Now, this is another method we use to remove uh, mucus from in the lungs. Um, we do that. We can also do autogenic drainage uses of electric chest vibrator, like I talked about. We can use our uh, electric chest vibrator. Where we use the vest and we vibrate the chest. The chest will move back and forth. The client should be in a in a foul in a father or smith father position then we'll use the cough assist to remove the cough from the lungs we can do that we can also do high frequency chest chest compression high frequency chest compression high frequency chest compression all these things can be used to provide the client the best method to remove the the mucus from in the client lungs. These are all methods. We can administer medication like aerosol treatment. In many cases, 
we always give nebos uh, and and uh, never lies errors so before do this before do this uh, uh this particular uh uh this particular uh procedure so like i had a patient who i used to work with in philadelphia when i go to work in the morning um, i'm going to make sure i'll first of all get him ready everything make his food put it put a full one side then as i'm making as i'm trying to get his thing to, to to, to, to get in money to get ready in the morning I'm gonna put the medication within the aerosol nebulized uh, spray I'm gonna put it in the uh, in the machine and, and, and I'm gonna put this aerosol on and then it will it will I put it like, 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 like for 15 minutes so, so sometimes it can be antibiotics sometimes it can be bronchodilator sometimes, sometimes it can be a mycolytic agent there are different just you could use depending on what the data prescribed so you just put it in the uh in the in, in the machine and start it and then it will it will be nebulizing within the client lungs or in the client airway it helps to loosen the secretion in there so after after the spray has ended spraying into the, the airway then you put a chest the then you put on the i do the cpt or i can do the chest the the, the, the cover says i do the chest vibrator vest Put a vest on it will vibrate and uh, it will help to loosen loosen the secretion within the central airway then i use a cup assist and i will pull out and you will see a huge mucus secretion coming from the lungs it can be so huge so when it comes out like that and then you will see the patient will start of they, they, they will talk free there they will cough and there will be no cough left in the chest so that can be done like two times now in winter it becomes more because in winter the client will have more infection so you want to make you want to do at least two or three times a day in winter in winter. But it's very uncomfortable for the patient because it's like the chest vibrate to the point that your whole heart your whole body is like shaking that's what happens when you do the cough if you, if, you, if you do the chest vest so you gotta look over these things they are important then in that period you could also do um the client could do aerobic exercise to help them to breathe. Deep breathing exercises to help them to also in, in this process. We can also do those things to help the patient. Then we can also give other medication in this situation. We can give short acting beta antagonists, like the ones we talk about when a client has asthma, the SALA medication. We must talk about those drugs called SABA, the SABA drugs we said they can arrest in there. So the short acting beta, short acting beta agonist, the SABA example is Abiduroll. So Abiduroll can be given for this condition to help with the breathing. We can also administer um, the fluticasum flutica, the or, or the Samitirol. They are long acting. We will get the samidira, which which is a long acting. The samidira. We remember about samidira yesterday. We said the samidira is for long acting. They are made for preventive measure for asthma. So they can also be given in the case of cystic fibrosis. We talked we talked about that yesterday. We can also administer um the donors alpha. Donors alpha. So the donors alpha it is also a medication that decreases the viscosity the viscosity of the mucous membrane 
of the mucus in there. It loosens the cough and improves lungs function. That's the function of this just called the Dominus Alpha. So it loosens the cough, makes the cough to be thinner, then you can cough it out faster, which will help to improve the client breathing. So when we're doing that, we'll monitor the client cough, the client sputum and other things, and see, then we'll do the, the pulmonary function test. And you know, we talked about this test yesterday, we said the pulmonary function test, it is to see how well the client is able to forcefully breathe air into their lungs when they're having these conditions. So we've got, so we've got to remember that also. Then we talk about, they can have other antibiotics medication given. We can give antibiotics. It could be gentamicin. It could be tobramycin. It can, it could be ticacillin. All these drugs can be given when a client has cystic fibrosis because there are a lot of different uh, microorganisms, bacteria-wise, that can affect the lungs when they are having this when they are having this problem. Um, we can give other things like pancreatic enzyme. If the pancreas is affected, we said this condition can affect the lungs, the liver, the small intestine, the pancreas, and it can affect the reproductive system. So if they affect the pancreas, then we can administer pancreatic enzyme. Pancreatic enzyme can be administered, which is called a pancreas Pancreas uh, lipids can be administered in here. Um, we can also administer vitamin A, D, E, K. Why? Because when you have cystic fibrosis, the patient cannot have, their body cannot synthesize vitamins A, D, E, K. They are dead vitamins. So these vitamins are called fat soluble vitamins, meaning they cannot be dissolved in water. So many we must give them supplement that contains vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K. So they will need to take vitamin A, D, E, K. So in the end, they will ask you, a patient who has cystic fibrosis, what's the what's the next most important concern? They will list for your other concerns. Now, the anglers now a day, they're not going to list for you the most important concern. They want to see whether you rare other things. So instead of putting something that is more important for this condition, they will leave that out and they will add vitamin D. Yes, we'll have to. So they will leave all oh, oh, this medication. Now, if, if they have vitamin D and abiduraw, I will choose abiduraw because abiduraw is for if for gastric exchange. So I will take abiduraw because it is breathing or airway. If they left of vitamin for the uh, left of abiduraw and they have vitamin A, vitamin D, or vitamin E, or vitamin K in there, which you might not be very aware of, it will, it will be the correct answer because in this situation, we'll. Also, get a patient vitamin A, D, E, K because they are not having vitamin A, D, E, K in the system. They are having vitamin A, D, E, K deficiencies. So, you got to think better and wider <coughs> in the end class, more critical. Um, that's what happened in this situation. So, you make sure um, the client understands the condition and other things, and the client be on the right path to following the treatment regimen when they are having cystic fibrosis. Any question on cystic fibrosis? Any question? I will take a look at a tonsillitis and tonsillectomy. 
this condition for honor acute and infectious respiratory diseases. So tonsillitis and tonsillectomy, they are all under um, acute and infectious diseases of the respiratory system. Uh, tonsils are masses of limb or type tissue that form within the pharyngeal area. The tonsils, they are found within the pharynx of the body. They are found within the pharyngeal areas. Um, they, they are the filter pathogens which help to protect our GI respiratory tract. That's the function of the, of the tonsils. So the tonsils are here on both sides of our, of our pharynx. They are in there to, to filter. So they serve as filterers or filter. I mean, they serve as filter to remove harmful bacteria and other things from in our body when they are going into the lungs and the GI tract. That's their function. Now, um, in addition also, they can also function in antibodies, uh, in antibodies formation. So when the body is producing antibodies for our body, they also function in production of those, anti uh, of those antibodies in our body. Now, um, the tonsils, they are vascular. Meaning they got huge vessels that contain blood. That's why when we do the subject tonsillectomy, um, we still the risk of bleeding. Bleeding is the most important risk or complication after the surgery tonsillectomy because the tonsils are vascular, they contain huge amount of blood vessels. So in this situation, um, the tonsils, they help to protect against infection because those foreign materials, such as bacteria or viruses in our body, um, they enter our body through our mouth. That's why they are located in the pharynx. So when bacteria enter through the mouth, the tonsils help to protect the body against those bacteria or viruses that are going to enter the body through the mouth. Um, we have the palatine tonsils, which are located uh, in both sides of the oral pharynx, the palatine tonsils. We have um, the pharyngeal tonsils, which are, uh, which are also located uh, around there. Um, they are called the adenoids. So when we do, when we do a palatine tonsil remover, the palatine tine tonsil remover. In this case, we call it tonsillectomy. So this will be called tonsillectomy. If it is removed. Now, if we do the pharyngeal tonsil remover, the pharyngeal, the pharyngeal tonsil remover is called adenectomy. Uh, uh, it's called adenoidectomy. It's called adenoidectomy. Now, because this pharyngea is also called the adenoid tonsils. In, 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 in other names. So if we do the surgery to remove the pharyngeal tonsils, that procedure is called adenoid adenoidectomy adenoidectomy for the palatine it's called tonsillectomy now 
Um, the tonsils can become tonsillitis if it becomes infected and gets enlarged. It becomes tonsillitis. Now, so in tonsillitis, we have two types. We have the acute and the chronic one. In the acute one, which is my concern, it becomes red and inflamed. If you look in the Sanders book, you will see it there. It becomes red and it gets inflamed. When you open the, open the patient's mouth, you will see that yesterday we talked about we said when you having this, this particular infection, when it is suspected already, you do not ask the patient to open their mouth because opening their mouth can block the airway. When the client already have tonsillitis, so we can give antibiotics like acetaminophen or Tylenol. We can give antibiotics um, for the condition. Now. My concern is the surgery, tonsillectomy. That's my concern. What can we do for the surgery? In the surgery, we want to make sure in the surgery, we want to make sure um, the client maintain NPO before the surgery. NPO before surgery. Now, if it is post-surgery, the client is placed in the side lying position to facilitate the drainage. So the client is placed in a side lying position to facilitate drainage, the drainage. That's what happened. Um, for this surgery, post-surgery wise, for post-surgery wise, uh, let's see what's happening here. Um, for the post-surgery wise, we want to elevate the bare head when the child is fully awake. The bear should be elevated. Now, if there's any bleeding in this condition, after surgery, it requires emergency. After, if bleeding is observed or reported, this requires emergency management and how do we know that the client is bleeding in terms of after the after the surgery one these are signs of bleeding after the surgery signs of bleeding after tonsillectomy one there is frequent swallowing so the client will swallow frequently it means the client is having bleeding problem two Clearing the throat, they will clear the throat a lot. Clearing the throat is a sign of bleeding. When there is bright red emesis, meaning blood, uh, bright red vomitus. When the client is restless, most of them for pediatric client, they cannot talk. There will be there will be restlessness. There is also going to be um, tachycardia, and then there will be pylor. So tachycardia is not until certain time, and then they will become pale. There will be pylor of the skin, which is just 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 like is the end is the end is one of the ends or one of the last symptoms. Um, we want to administer for comfort measure administer liquid. Analgesic 
or tetra key lollipop as prescribed. Get a mister liquid analgesic for the client, liquid analgesic. Not pills, liquid analgesic for the patient, or we can administer tetraquine lollipops for the patient as prescribed. Now, we can also provide an ice color, color like ice, an ice color for the patient, ice color, C O L L A R, for the patient. We can also provide for them. Ice chip. They can take ice chips. Ice chip can, can, can be provided for them. Um, we can also give them ice chip and sip of water to clear the throat. We can also administer pain medication as a regular scheduled medication. After after the surgery. Thing that we're not supposed to do for this surgery, we should never do it after the surgery. One, we sh the client should not cough. We should discourage coughing. We should avoid coughing. The client should avoid coughing because coughing puts pressure on the pharynx and will break the suture linings. We want to also discourage um, clearing the throat. Nose blowing. They cannot blow that nose. Going to break the sutures, want to also avoid straw. They cannot use straw, they cannot use straw for the for to drain it in liquid. The angler will say after the surgery, the clench, if you can use the straw, the straw is like this. So the straw will pull the water or anything the client is drinking with force. The force will hit the back of the pharynx. Which also has the ability to break the suture linings, which can cause complications. That's why we don't use straw after the, after this um, after this particular procedure. So there will be there will be some blood clots after the procedure. There will be blood thin mucus after the procedure. That is normal. But you know the signs and symptoms of bleeding. We should talk, we'll talk, we'll talk about them already. If there's any of those signs, it should be treated as emergency. Um, there might be some complications. Um, like a, there will be something like a hemorrhage occurring. Like I said, bleeding is the most important uh, uh, thing you want to avoid after the surgery. Um, the client might get dehydrated. There will be chronic infection. There might be and other things occurring. Just make sure the client is on the right side for those things. Then we will talk about a few more things. Um, any question on, on tonsillitis and tonsillectomy? Any question on them? Uh... Then we we that's it for this particular topic. Um, we you can look at uh, nasal pharyngitis, almost the same things. Uh, this one will have the same uh, management is in the same uh, symptoms 
like what we just talked about. Any question?